Storie Libere Presents The first thing Small Siddhartha is not so small He is one of the ancient ones His worth may be that of a child but his wisdom is not Watching Small Siddhartha You can understand why Lao Tzu was thought to have been born old. Siddhartha is born old. When he says something, he knows something exactly. That's why he says it. He is right. I was given sannyas by Osho at 3 in 1974. I was brought up in Pune, in the ashram, and around Pune, at that time, Pune was very small. Yeah, when I got to India and we took sannyas, many times I was always also outside the ashram, waiting for my mom during discourse in the morning. So my first friends uh, were all like poor Indian beggar kids who lived under the Beggar's Bridge, which was the road that connected Korrigan Park to the main part of Pune, the actual city part. Then I left before Pune 1 ended, and uh, directly I ended up on the ranch. And I was on the ranch two times. Before I got kicked out, and then after Sheila left, I went back to the ranch for the last three months. And my overview is that Somehow, I guess the kids who had a connection with Osho, a conscious connection from an early age, somehow were also just a hundred, as, just as dedicated to, in a way, maybe in a more innocent way, just as dedicated to Osho's work as our parents were and everybody around. And um, in general, as far as an overview goes, it was very special and uh, magical childhood. We've come to know Siddhartha through Osho's words. We've heard him tell us about their special relationship. So special that it didn't only intrigue the adults, it made them jealous. So special he became a target. That little boy with long hair felt too important and had to be punished. He had to eat humble pie. If he felt so great and big, then he would be treated like the adults. He just had to stop being who he was. He had to obey or step aside, one way or the other. I am Roberta Lippi and you're listening to a special episode of Soli. A journey into the stories and memories of children who grew up in Osho's commune between the beginning of the 70s and the first half of the 80s. We've been following the memories of Siddhartha, the child that all Sanyazin remember or have heard of, the little Osho's friend, the golden boy. Siddhartha has already had to abandon his master once. Sheila has sent him away from Puna's ashram, so he leaves with his young auntie for a trip around Europe, after which he lands in America. 
Having grown up in India, he struggles to understand the codes and behaviors of a place like America, a place that shortly after will allow him to reunite with his community. In fact, Osho has just moved to Oregon and Rajnishpuram does represent for Siddhartha a promised land. He manages to get back to his people, but nothing is the way he had imagined it. In particular, his stay doesn't last long. Sheila has targeted him and history repeats itself. Siddhartha is out for the second time. At only 12, he will face traumas and hardships that nobody should have to experience, let alone a child. But one day the news arrives. Sheila is no longer there. She's gone. And so Siddhartha can go back once more to his master. This time, though, he will witness the definite collapse of the sannyasin dream. Basically, so I was, I was on the Raj. I got kicked out when I was about 12, like a week after I turned 12. I, got in, I came back to the ranch about a week after Sheila had been accused publicly by Osho for doing all the bad shit she was doing, and after she had left with everybody's money and all of Osho's jewelry and all of the, anything of value, she just took everybody's everything, right? I arrive, and when I arrived that time, I, was, I had been on my own, I had gone through traumatic experiences after, I, when I was kicked out of the ranch, I went through a lot. You know, I was basically, almost the whole time I was kicked out of the ranch, I was on the street. So when I got back to the ranch, you know, I had grown up quite a lot, and it was so nice to get back to the ranch and know that Sheila wasn't there. And everybody seemed so relaxed. And Osho had said that we could, you know, use... Uh, well, the funny thing is, is that I dyed all my clothes before I went back to the ranch because I was using normal colored blue jeans and stuff. And I dyed it all pink and red. And when I got to the ranch, everybody was using normal jeans and, and, and colors by then because Osho had said that, yeah, it was time to give up the mala and the colors so we could blend into the world easier. Anyway, so we, I got there and it was like a feeling of celebration in a way. Things were still working. All of the services, the cafeteria, you know, things. And then slowly, slowly, you could see that every day there was a bit more, less work, more celebration. People were just kind of relaxing. There was lots of FBI and agents around. And I remember that I ran into the woman that I had lost my virginity with and she had, there was this whole house that was being built and then when Sheila left, all the constructions were on hold because we had no more money because she took it all to keep building. So she had kind of moved into this abandoned house that was half built. And I stayed with her while I was there on the ranch before I left. And it was really kind of amazing because it was like, it's almost like the end of the world because the maximum power Sheila was gone. And we were finally remembering what it was like to be normal sannyasins again and celebrate more and have fun. But then that didn't work because it wasn't sustainable. Osho left for our safety. Not only it wasn't sustainable, but the situation had gotten more and more tense. The FBI had its eyes on the community. Their objective wasn't, of course, a secretary on the run. Their objective was the guru, 
the man around whom that strange community had organized itself, and that, from the outside, at first sight, looked like yet another community of hippies, but that had already committed several crimes, and most of all, had tried to poison a whole county to win the elections in order to be able to make laws to suit their ends. If we think that in that moment the Sanyazin had abandoned their robes to pick up rifles, you can understand that it had started to raise concerns. Osho left for our safety because supposedly the FBI and the ATF were all maybe three or four hundred agents on the valley next to us. And they were waiting for a possible necessity to basically come and attack us. They didn't know if we were going to do like a mass suicide or if Osho had some terrible plan like Jonestown to kill all, you know, to do this mass killing. It was just on the point, uh, we had a helicopter, so somebody had observed that there was this whole, you know, troop of, you know, agents and body bags and trucks and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So uh, Osho was told about that and Osho said, okay, I'm, I'm leaving. That's the best thing. Let everybody know that I love them and, you know, ciao. He left and when it was announced, like a general meeting, Osho, no, Osho's gonna leave. Everybody went to say goodbye to him. It was very, very emotional. Yeah, at that moment, the day, the day he left, then the meltdown was heavy. The panic was heavy. People realized that we weren't gonna be there anymore. And people had lived in his communities for so many years. Even people who had careers before they went to India originally, kind of gave everything up, you know? for this project. So people started panicking. And then it was scary a little bit. It was like everybody was for himself and everybody was trying to get things of value because, you know, we had a bank there. And what Sheila took was all the money that was in this bank. And it was, you know, millions of dollars of people's private money altogether. So, you know, that was a really big deal as well. So lots of people, they didn't have anything anymore. Sheila left with everything. So it was like this, everybody for himself. And it was panicky and scared. And, you know, I realized I had more experience in the world than even my mother. So, you know, I left with a friend of mine who was 13 and I was almost 13. Imagine, and we arrived in Oakland with that green tortoise bus at about three in the morning. But the, the, the meltdown, as far as that goes, that was heavy. It was scary to see people all of a sudden acting like rats on a sinking ship. That was a sensation. It was a brief period like that, but it was really, really intense. It was like, uh, it was like an epic, tragic story. Siddhartha tells me that this is by far the worst moment of his experience. When he's still a child and on the run, still somehow alone, without knowing what will happen to his life from then on, without even having Osho as a mental point of reference, at least before he knew that there was a place he belonged to and where he wanted to go back to. But now? 
You know, we never thought this dream would end, this project. I was on the Green Tortoise bus, which is a hippie bus that takes people with not so much money around. You know, it's like a local bus that takes you like between Oregon and California, for instance. I was 12 and a half with a friend of mine who had never lived outside of a commune before. His mother had been arrested. I told him I could help him because I had friends in California. He had enough money for the bus ticket. I did too. We went to, we got a, a ride to Portland and then we walked a few blocks to where this green tortoise bus was going to leave from. We were leaving Portland. It was winter. We stopped, you know, for a peace stop on like maybe an hour outside of Portland. I remember looking out into the snow with my mala in my hand, which was the same mala that Osho had given me almost 13, no, almost 11 years before. My whole life as I'd known it had ended there, basically. That's what I felt in that moment. And in that moment, I felt so pissed off at Osho. I felt so betrayed by everything, you know. I finally came back to see him. And then I realized, I started thinking how I was even, how he let Sheila kick me out, not only once, but twice. I started questioning everything, and then I took my mala off. And I swung it in the air, and I threw it as far as I could. Yeah, I think that moment is the moment that I, I closed up. I changed as a person. I became more tough. Uh, I believed in magic a lot less all of a sudden. And it was, I was devastated, for sure. When I realized it was all over, it was very sad. Here's the gesture we've seen done several times. Freeing oneself from the mala, burning it, cutting it, or throwing it, as Siddhartha has done as far away as possible, to close the chapter with his past, as if to say, this thing isn't here anymore, it doesn't exist anymore. A gesture that, however, also meant, I'm not here anymore. I think of Bindu, who remembers her mother crying and says she's never seen her so desperate. Adults left with nothing, no money, no home, no dreams. This time, Siddhartha doesn't even wait for his mother. He already has had to get by on his own, and this time, it's her turn to do so. He has to take care of his friend, his peer, to spare him from living the same destiny. Oh, basically, I arrive in Oakland, it's about midnight. And I have a number of this guy who had been a lover of my mother in the 70s, at one point. And we were very close. And when I'd been kicked out of the ranch originally, sometimes I would stay with him and he would help me when he could, but he was pretty broke. And by that time he had moved to California and he was living in a house with a few people in San Francisco. But when I actually called, the number I had was of some other people because he was going to be there that night at a party on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County. So we arrived. Somebody, he sent a friend of his to come pick us up in Oakland. My friend, uh, David, or who was called Prabuddha, and then he changed his name to David again. And he was totally freaked out. 
And we arrived into a party where there was, you know, sannyasins who had, had never really lived on the ranch. They weren't there. They had already been living there in California. They would just go to visit the ranch for festivals and stuff like that. They were more rebellious. Many sannyasins didn't go to the ranch because they didn't like Sheila. So it was more of this kind of group. And I remember that night it was kind of, it was a crazy party and it was a swimming pool and everybody was naked and, you know, uh, dancing and, you know. Uh, it was intense. I, I liked it, what I saw. My friend got really freaked out, so I was worried about him. But me, you know, I was ready for it. I, I was ready to live in the world and start making my way. At the same time, all of the sadness and all of the trauma I had, I just managed to swallow, you know, because I also had trauma from the time I was kicked out of the ranch of stuff that happened to me on the street and stuff, you know. So, you know, I had some really heavy situations occur to me between 12 and 13. Uh, I was abused. I started doing drugs. I always lied about my age because I looked older so I could get more into trouble. Uh, I had to work jobs. As assistant mechanic. Sometimes I had to even steal things. So it was intense for me. But I had kind of formed this kind of James Dean image of myself in a way that do it. And I was going to be, you know, a really cool, mean motherfucker kind of style. That was, I was very cocky and ready to go for it. And, you know, basically, in result, for many years, I guess, got very lost into drugs, basically, because I didn't want to face a lot of you know, trauma I had from feeling abandoned from my mother and from Osho and abused by Sheila and all of those things, you know. So I kind of covered it up and became kind of uh, an asshole, I would say. And I had a hard time after the ranch. It was hard for me. I mean, I had fun in an unconscious way, but I would have to be out of my head to be happy because when I wasn't on drugs... And I would get back to things I didn't want to deal with. I would get depressed for sure. What Siddhartha the child has had to go through is impossible to comment on. Siddhartha with his ancient soul. Siddhartha who is welcomed like a little Zen master. Siddhartha that makes the community his family and is friends with everyone, trusts everyone. Siddhartha, who has to beware adults. Siddhartha, relentlessly bullied, abandoned on a lonely path without a good reason. What does he think of today, of what the adults have done? Of the fact that some of them don't want to recognize him, but also pretend to remove him, as if nothing ever happened? Well, first of all, I think that's ridiculous. One thing I can say to their the grown-ups benefit in the whole movement is most of them didn't have kids, thank God. Because I think most people in the world shouldn't have kids. You know, it's a, such a special, beautiful, sacred act, you know, to have a kid. It's really important and it's a big responsibility. And I think that if they say that it's because they don't want to accept reality, nothing is exempt from reality. Not an ashram. Not a city, not a small town, not a big town, not the middle of nowhere, not in the middle of everything. Things happen. Good things and bad things happen. 
as far as my point of view, Sheila was responsible for really a lot of fucked up stuff. And somehow Osho has some responsibility there as well. Not that he was intentionally doing terrible things to people or anything like that, not at all. But he let Sheila become the monster she did. So of course, you know, takes two to, to tango, shall I say. You see, Osho, as far as the dynamics of, of the communities in general, even with Sheila, there was still always a connotation of celebration, you know, being totally present, being in the moment, and loving, living, and working, and dancing to the fullest. And I think that also doesn't exclude, you know, normal things. So anything, anything, anytime something real and, and not so beautiful would happen, you know, sannyasins would always try to like, you know, pretend it almost, it didn't happen. You know, this thing of you always had to be so positive and stuff. But I don't think that was Osho's message. And I think that they're ignorant to think that way. All, all experience comes with every, every shade, you know, with every temperature. And there's nothing that's just so utopic, like, like I guess these people would like to think. And that's for me the better, that was the good thing about Osho too. He was a very real person. You know, he didn't have a hidden house or an island or investments in the Bahamas or, you know, it wasn't like, like that. You know, he was there in his community for good or for bad. When he did things, he did them with style and he did them big. And when things didn't work, they didn't work in a big way as well. You know what I mean? So. You know, that's life. And, and there's no place that's protected, so protected that nothing bad ever happens. That's just not realistic. And his parents? How did they cope with the huge responsibility of having put him in that situation? How did things go afterwards? My father died when I was 15. I finally got to know him a little bit before he died, which I'm very thankful. Uh, my mother today, my mother and me have, we've fixed a lot of past obstacles, traumas, and uh, eventually you have to, I realized with my mother, I had a love-hate relationship. And sometimes, you know, they, I would ask, you know, certain things didn't make sense, you know, the decisions he made. When you finally are able, if you can, talk, talk it out with, you know, like in my case with my mother. But what it gave me, it didn't erase the negative things, but what it did was make me understand that you're also, after all of it, you're also dealing with another human being. Nobody's perfect. And people suffer also when they make bad decisions, you know. And so I'm nobody to make her feel worse about anything and also she was a great mother too so now we're at very good terms and we've become very close again and i've forgiven her completely and i love her despite everything having gone wrong siddhartha will never forget his master his friend he will never forget him and he will manage to go back to him in india in Pune too in what he remembers as one of the best moments. Hmm. 
was at my best moment on a personal note. Well, there's definitely a few moments there, but I remember the first time I went back to Pune after the ranch had ended and after he had been arrested and released and after all the countries didn't accept him and the whole ordeal he went through. I had been studying acting in, in New York and um, I had a really cool, beautiful girlfriend and we were uh, in love and she was modeling and I was getting into acting and we went to India. In that trip to India, basically, we broke up and I was in a really bad way during the process. We got back together, actually, after that, but for a while we broke up and it was the first time I'd ever broken up with someone and I was going through a lot. I went to a discourse. Osho was still speaking. He was talking and then he said, oh, and you know, little Siddhartha is here. And he said it looking right at me. And he said, he's come with his girlfriend after many years and he's been studying acting and I'm so proud of him of the decision he's taken to study acting because actors can become easily meditators because they have to play so many roles but just the love I felt from him mentioning me it just make, made me break down so much and somehow it gave me a like a injection of of, of humility and love and for a moment I was completely out of myself and and, and it was just beautiful because I, I so many years had passed that we had had contact also somehow maybe I felt maybe he kind of had forgotten about me or something you know so when he talked about me I remember I realized he still had me in his heart and that would for me was really touching I have to say Despite having thrown his effigy together with the mala many years before, that day, through the snow, Siddhartha was and always will be a disciple of that master who gave him his name. He is the most fantastic, elegant, stylish, gigantic, beautiful, lovely, enlightened master being that I've ever had the privilege to meet. And his work has really gone to his, his philosophy, even directly through taking sannyas or indirectly through people who've done his techniques and his therapies and have been able to adapt that and integrate it in their own work. I think Osho was a genius. And I think there's some people who on an intellectual level might think they're more refined and have gotten to other spiritual levels or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But basically what Osho did was create a foundation for what became this whole wave in the last 30 to 40 years of people discovering themselves, of women really connecting with their power without shame, with men realizing that... You know, things, you know, this this thing of, of Osho has created all these mechanisms where you can 
uh, do techniques and, and you see yourself and you, if you see yourself and you see what you're doing, you have no excuse to be unaware, you know, and Osho left so many tools and inspired so many people. And even more so in India, the work he did in India for the in for Indians too, because it's a very repressed society was amazing. And, you know, I'm very close to many of the kids I was brought up with. And I'm so thankful that I know so many beautiful people through him, you know. And most people who who are disillusioned with Osho, they still, all their friends are still disciples of Osho, you know. So it's like it's easy to talk bad about him, but still reap all the benefits somehow, you know. Because he created a really cool philosophy and a, and a really cool way of life, a cool way of behaving, you know, relation. He's, there was something, there was two different kinds of work I felt that he did. One was a very subtle, here and now, very direct uh, techniques. And at the same time, he had other ways of talking about the day-to-day -day life more mundane things, more things that, you know, more routinary things, uh, relationships, work, and how to turn something ordinary and boring into something extraordinary and fantastic. Whether you're cleaning a toilet or you're looking at your wife that you've had to look at for maybe too long, but you can still change that and see her as the most beautiful woman if you're just present in the moment. Or, and vice versa, for the same for her to you, you know. So to get out of the monotony of life and to the, you know, security and to take a risk, take a risk for yourself because life goes by fast and you have to live it now. You can't live it tomorrow, you know. So that's his essence. He was an amazing man and he was so zen and so simple in one way and also so full of, you know, Grandesa, uh, and he was so royal at the same time. He was a beautiful man. And so, in such an intense and at times terrible story, it seems everyone has found forgiveness. Everyone has been given a second chance. But what has become of her? That woman who caused a child to be mistreated, threatened, abused, ridiculed, humiliated. What about the others who have put themselves at her service, who haven't showed any solidarity, tenderness or remorse, but only cruelty? Is there forgiveness for them? Uh, not at all. I knew some of the moms before they became important because I was close to their kids. And I remember in the case of Sue and Shanti B. Yeah, they had some moments there in Pune 1 that they could have been very nice ladies. But they just sucked in the, the opportunities Sheila gave them right away. And, and they became very dark women and they did lots of really bad things. And I really say that. Unfortunately, lots of bad things, and I will never be able to forgive them for that. And Sheila, even less. You know, for me, Sheila, it's even more personal. And I, I, you know, she's, yeah, she's somehow the Judas. She's the Antichrist. She's the, you know, she's everything negative. I relate almost everything negative in my life sometimes to her. You know, 
And I guess that's, that's an excuse as well. And it's good to be able to forgive for yourself, I guess. But at this point, I'm definitely not... You know, it's not that I live in, in an agony thinking of her all the time or something. But if you ask me, at this moment, I have... There's nothing I could... I mean, basically, she's probably one of the worst people I've ever seen in my life. Known, And I was with her in person and her vibe, her energy was like a poisonous snake. And she was a ruthless, ruthless bitch. So right now, no, I can't forgive her. I don't wish her any particular harm. But I have no sympathy for her, you know? It's like I... Yeah, for me, she's a piece of shit. I want to end this episode of Soli by simply thanking Siddhartha for having looked for me, for having shared his story, and for having allowed me even a tiny bit to do justice to that child's wounded soul. Because each of us has a big responsibility when finding oneself in front of a child, and that is to let him dream and let him blossom, knowing that the world is a place where one can grow up without necessarily encountering monsters. Perhaps little Siddhartha is still here, or maybe he has gone. Just now, he has been here for almost one month. I don't know whether he is still here or not. Now he has come with a girlfriend, has become very grown up. It was reported to me by Anando that when he entered the gate after so many years, he had tears in his eyes. He must have remembered the first day he had come to me, almost 20 years ago. I am Roberta Lippi, and this is Soli. The international voice of Roberta Lippi is Cecilia Gragnani. Storie Libere Production by Gianandrea Cerone and Rossana De Michele. Editorial Supervisor Guido Guenci and Chiara Tagliaferri. Post and Sound Design Era Zero.